What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to the 200th edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig, and here we are, 200 editions of the newsletter later. Podcast started uh, slightly after that, so not quite 200 podcasts, but wow. What a journey it has been over the last four years. Thank you for reading, listening, sharing, liking, subscribing, and all that good stuff. Um, We are not doing any kind of special, I don't know, uh, rest on our laurels edition of the uh, podcast because this is a very important week. Not only the biggest movie of the year, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, at the box office, but also the odds-on favorite right now to win Best Picture at the Oscars in The Fablemans. So big movies to talk about. We've got to hit them. That's going to be our featured uh, section of the podcast, what these movies have in common and uh, what they have very differently. And then, of course, something new, something old, and something to stream, uh, as we usually do. Um, before we get started, I, I do want to say you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. That's also where you can find out more information on the cinephile bucket list, which people have been buying and loving. I've shipped out, uh, over 30 of them I'm trying to sell hundred. So there's still some available for you to buy. If you're interested again, mattcraig.substack.com. This week marked the arrival of the latest world-conquering Marvel spectacular on thousands of screens across the country and the current odds-on favorite to win Best Picture, opening in a few theaters in New York and Los Angeles. It's a perfect microcosm of the two diverging communities of moviegoers now fully detached from any Venn diagram of monoculture. It's not so much a question of whether someone can like both of these movies from different ends of the spectrum, but rather a foregone conclusion that the type of person who sees one of these movies will never have any interest in ever checking out the other. This makes me sad. It's even sadder to realize this fate has befallen Steven Spielberg, one of the most influential directors in the history of cinema, while also being one of the most commercially successful. Jaws, E.T., Indiana Jones, and Jurassic Park. I mean, you don't need me to list them all. Now he's the guy who spent $200 million on a movie musical that grossed $76 million at the worldwide box office, but earned seven Oscar nominations and a very positive review from yours truly. That is for West Side Story. His new movie, The Fablemans, is the equivalent of Spielberg throwing up his hands and saying, screw it, then I'm just going to make what I want. The result is a self-indulgent yet gorgeous autobiography of his young life that practically worships at the altar of cinema proper. Nothing could be lower stakes than this story of an upper-middle-class Jewish boy struggling to cope with his parents' dissolving marriage. But I guess one thing the movie has in common with Wakanda Forever is that Spielberg clearly sees his filmmaking talent as nothing less than a superpower. The way it is unveiled and the effect it has on people who witness it is Superman-esque. Still, Because Spielberg is Spielberg, everything about this movie feels larger than life. Characters are always backlit and almost always shot from underneath, giving them the classic hero silhouette. 
The action and dialogue are slightly heightened above believable reality. Credit to co-writer extraordinaire Tony Kushner. Set design and camera angles and everything else are perfect. It feels like an all-caps movie. One that wouldn't have fell out of place being released in 1965, 1985, or 2005. In any of those years, it would be a big hit. Instead, the world clamors for more Black Panther. Within a week, $400 million worth of people have already seen this sequel to the 2018 miracle that was the original. That movie managed to marry the style of an ascendant, young, vibrant director in Ryan Coogler, the charisma of two mega movie stars, Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan, the social statement of a primarily black cast, the CGI crowd-pleasing punch fest of a Marvel movie, and most importantly, some real themes and thoughts about the real world. All that, I should note, in 2 hours and 14 minutes. The new movie, at 2 hours and 41 minutes, certainly is packed with a lot of stuff. It hops around the globe faster than you can say Angela Bassett, and the Queen Mother is like one of 20 characters jostling for precious seconds of spotlight. In all these movies, either magic or technology, which is magic by a different name, are used to paper over any jumps in logic. Figuring out the rock-paper-scissors of who wins between a Wakandan in a knockoff Iron Man suit and a a Talo Khan with superhuman aqua strength is exhausting. Still, I respect the fact that the movie doesn't require me to have a PhD in Avengersology to follow what's going on. It's not my bag, but if I hold my nose, I can definitely swallow it. The two movies are diametrically opposed, if you can't tell by now. And yet, as I watched both of them, my mind couldn't get past one similar trait that they share. I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was until I saw on Twitter the opening scene for the new Netflix movie, The Wonder, which I have not watched yet, but definitely will this week, simply because Florence Pugh is in it. It's some sort of intense psychological thriller set in 1862, yet the movie opens with a shot of a studio soundstage in present day. We see the construction of sets, and a voiceover tells us quite explicitly that we're watching a movie. It's bizarre. There's zero suspension of disbelief. It's not just a nifty trick that an independent movie, in an independent movie, to gain attention. I mean, Steven freaking Spielberg is doing this too in his own way, setting aside the fact that everyone who sees The Fablemans knows it's Spielberg's own recreation of his young life, an artificial construction of something real. There's two moments in the movie where he explicitly winks at the audience. When a bully gives the Spielberg stand-in, the classic, tell anyone about this and I'll kill you, he replies, I won't, unless one day I make a movie about it, equivalent of a Jim Halpert face to the camera. Later, when he gets advice from John Ford, to never shoot the horizon in the middle of the frame, the movie's camera shakily adjusts its horizon from the middle to the bottom of the frame. In each case, Spielberg decided to break what I'll call the narrative trance. Of course, Wakanda Forever is a movie whose entire premise is based entirely on the fact that Chadwick Boseman died tragically. Rather than recast T'Challa, it was decided that he, the character, would be dead as well. At two separate points, 
silent montages honor Bozeman's portrayal of T'Challa, but less for the sake of the character than the real-life actor. The emotional anchor of the movie is not even on the screen, it's reality itself. I consider these latest examples to be something of a watershed moment for the trend of self-referential, ironic detachment that has been rising for several years. I mean, if the biggest commercial and critical hits of the year are doing it, the trend has officially won. In my screenings of each movie, the audiences laughed, cried, and loved these meta moments. So I ask you, is this what you want from your movies? And let me make my opinion very clear. I hate it. This so-called narrative trance is absolutely essential to the true power of cinema to capture you and transport you out of your experience and into the world of the story, whether it's as fictional as Wakanda or as real as mid-century San Francisco. Any acknowledgement from the movie that this world inside the screen is just make-believe is telling your younger is like telling your younger sibling that Santa Claus isn't real. It totally ruins the magic. And I will say that is for earnest movies. I mean, the caveat being that in comedies, zero rules apply. I mean, personally, I don't even like when at the end of docudramas, they show the pictures of the real-life people next to their on-screen characters. But hey, then again, I'm a crank. Take those two moments out, and the Fablemans would have comfortably sit, fit inside my top ten movies at year's end. Now, I know Spielberg, who's the only guy still making old-school, earnest Hollywood movies, feels the need to let his audiences know that he is in on the joke. I, I'm not laughing. All right, every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week, something new is on Netflix. It's falling for Christmas. I mean, it's Netflix in general because Netflix is spitting out movies right now at an impossible rate. I still haven't seen Luckiest Girl Alive with Mila Kunis or the movie about Jonah Hill and his therapist, Stutz, or Enola Holmes 2, LOL, or as mentioned above, The Wonder. They also just added Where the Crawdads Sing. But there's Falling for Christmas, which is Netflix's latest attempt at breaking up Hallmark's monopoly on terribly cheesy Christmas rom-coms by casting, that's right, Lindsay Lohan. She plays a spoiled heiress who, okay, checks notes, uh, loses her memory in a skiing accident. This movie is absolutely awful (laughs) in a way that's actually quite fun to laugh at, which could be a fun new Christmas tradition for you and your family. You're welcome. (laughs) If not, maybe check out a movie from the list above before I get to it in future newsletters. This week, Something Old is from 1999, and it's also streaming on Netflix. So another Netflix suggestion for you, if you're not into that whole hate-watching Lindsay Lohan thing. It's Any Given Sunday. And it's useful to think about sports fandom, in general, as a foreign language. You're either fluent in it, or you're not. Because of this, Hollywood movies have how Hollywood movies about sports have varied wildly in quality, over the past however many decades as directors see in sports 
whatever themes they're already interested in. Oliver Stone has always, and some may say only, been interested in the man in the arena myth. And once he realized he couldn't make another Vietnam movie, he uses the world of professional football to express his signature brand of doomed macho man sacrifice. It turns out his interpretation of concussions and CTE turned out to be frighteningly accurate some 20 years before it was a mainstream concept. This movie works, though, because of its charismatic performances. Al Pacino's pregame speech as the coach, it goes down in sports movie history books, and a young Jamie Foxx pr- proves his otherworldly magnetism as QB Willie Beeman. Steeman Willie Beeman. <laughs> as with all of Stone's movies, it's shaggy and jumbled and the opposite of subtle, but he certainly knows how to hit the high notes. For my friends out there who are fluent in sports and are about to go to their fantasy football playoffs, here's a recommendation for you to hype you up. And good luck out there. This week, something to stream is on Disney Plus. It's Luca. This is the one Pixar movie I'd never seen. And after my trip to Italy, oh, ooh, I mentioned my trip to Italy. Take a shot. <laughs> I decided to rectify that. Those that haven't been reading this newsletter long might think of me as this cold arbiter of obscure art house fair who, you know, they would be surprised. If you think that, you'd be surprised to see how warmly I've reviewed Turning Red, Soul, Toy Story, and other Pixar movies in recent years. No surprise here to find it, to find Luca an utterly charming, disarming, and delightful way to spend 90 minutes following the journeys of two young sea monsters who try to fit in as human boys in a seaside Italian town by winning the local triathlon, as you do. (laughs) It's exactly the outsider coming-of-age story you think it would be, but executed at a high level. Now that I've seen this movie and Lightyear, it's undeniable that Pixar's current directive is to lower the intended age of its target audience in the wake of Soul, which literally is not a children's movie. So here, the jokes are a bit bit less mature, the emotional gut punches a little less severe, and the existential reckoning a little less profound. But that studio up there in San Francisco... They just know how to tell really, really compelling stories. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like it, thank you for uh, spreading the word. Please do that. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Um, Next week's show, holy cow. Uh, I hope I have time to get to all these movies because... This is a huge release week uh, for movies that I'm personally interested in. First, there's She Said, the uh, Harvey Weinstein New York Times movie that looks pretty good. Uh, Bones and All, the cannibalism rom-com with Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell. Very excited about that one. Um, The Menu, I've heard it's not great, but uh, very compelling trailer. And I was looking forward to seeing that one as well. Um, They're also re-releasing 13 Lives, so I may... uh, repub that in my newsletter next week next week because i really really like that movie is one of my top five movies of the year um and then yeah uh so yeah four movies to, <laughs> i'm like just looking at this now four movies for me to see and hopefully talk about next week um 
which means a lot for me and a lot for you to be excited about for next Friday. Until then, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies. Thank you.